Good morning again. We are so grateful that you're here today. It is a beautiful day. We're thankful for the opportunity to be out. Hard to believe we had snow over the weekend, but in this area, you just never know what you might get. I had a fellow tell me yesterday, he said that over in North Alabama, they have had snow as late as April, and that sometimes those who farm already have their ground turned, and then the next thing you know, they've got snow on the ground. But we're grateful that you're here today. Thank you for being here. I do want to mention very quickly, we have two opportunities for service this week. Tonight, the focus team meeting. We would love to have you come and be a part of that. Brother Billy heads that up, always does a great job, and we have a number of people that stay. We'd love to have you tonight be a part of that and reach out to those who are sick and those who need our prayers. Also, tomorrow night, we're going to have Monday night for the Master. Last week we had, I, I would imagine, a little bit over 70 present. It was a great night, and so if you have the opportunity, listen, you might not be able to come every week, but we would love to have you come. Come when you can. We need your presence, both tonight and tomorrow night. Let me also add this very quickly. There are lots of opportunities to serve, and I know that many times we want to serve, but maybe we don't necessarily know where or know how to serve. And so if you can come tonight or if you will come tomorrow night, I promise you we'll do our best to point you in the direction where you can have a viable part in the work of the church here. I know that we have so many opportunities and we want to seize those opportunities and make known the name of Christ in this community. All right, we're looking today at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The theme of our study today, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Really the whole idea of being a conqueror is that we are victorious in Christ. That through Jesus Christ we have the victory, don't we? That we can conquer whatever comes our way, whether it's sin or suffering, we can stand victorious. And so today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 as we think about the theme, More Than Conquerors Through Christ. I want to begin our study today by, first of all, directing your attention to God's plan to redeem mankind or to redeem man. Because in Romans chapter 8, that theme is prevalent. Matter of fact, through the whole book, God's redemptive plan is outlined. In order for us to appreciate this tremendous plan, we have to understand something about the announcement that is made in this book as it relates to sin. Now you remember back in Romans chapter 1, Paul said that the Gentile world, that they were under sin. In chapter 2, he would say that the Jewish world, they too are under sin. And so in chapter 3, he said, we have concluded that both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. And then listen, if you would, to this universal charge. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a reality in the world in which we live. 
Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when God created man, the crown of His creation. God instructed the first couple. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, we know from reading Genesis chapter 3 that man sinned in the garden. And sin is defined as a missing of the mark. John said that those who commit sin transgress the law of Almighty God. So Adam and Eve transgressed God's law, didn't they? Now there is an undeniable consequence of sin. And that's spelled out in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where Paul said, the wages of sin is death. So, universally speaking, we all have a sin problem, don't we? Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel chapter 18 at verse 4, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. And so, sin is the problem, well documented throughout Scripture. But then God's answer to sin. Well, what was His answer to sin? In one word, Jesus. So what you have to understand when you read Romans chapter 8, as you look at the Scriptures, to understand that God had a plan in place to redeem humanity, the crown of His creation. Well, when did God design this plan? Before He ever laid the foundation of the world, He had a plan in place. Now you ask the question, well, how could that have been? Well, number one, we're talking about an all-wise, all-knowing God. So when God created man, He didn't create us as robots, but rather God created us and endowed within us the ability to make choices in life. That's why in Genesis 2, God said to the first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. So the choice was theirs. We make choices every day, don't we? God's not behind the scenes pulling strings, strings but rather we make those decisions. We make decisions that impact our lives each and every day. So with regard to this divine plan, there are two thoughts here. Number one, there is the revelation of this plan. And number two, the realization of this plan. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8 and begin in verse 28. Now when we read verse 28, you remember Paul said, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now I know that many, many times when people read Romans 8 verse 28, they talk about the providence of God, and I believe in the providence of Almighty God. I think that God is involved in the affairs of the human family, that God can take situations in life and use those to His glory. So when we talk about providence, it is a very real thing. We can read about it in Scripture. Many of us can look back over our own lives, and we see the hand of God in our lives. But I think in Romans 8 verse 28, in the context, Paul is talking about God's redemptive plan and His providence in bringing that plan to fruition. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But look at verse 29. Paul said, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be, listen to him, the firstborn 
among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Note that phrase, these things. He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And so in verse 28, you have a reference to all things. In verse 32, again, all things. So when we talk about this redemptive plan, I said a minute ago that God had a plan in place before He ever created man. You remember in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, John talked about Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in about verse 20, Peter said that Jesus was foreordained before the world began, but manifest in these last times for us. And so God had this plan in place in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 3, Paul said that all spiritual blessings reside in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now look at verse 4, or rather verse 5. He said, According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and without blame, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He's made us accepted in the Beloved. So all Paul is doing is pointing out that God had this plan in place. God predetermined to save a certain class of people. Now he's not saying that God arbitrarily saves some and rejects others or condemns others. But rather what he is saying is that God has devised a plan. And those who respond through faith and obedience to this plan, become His children. And God has decreed that He will save all who are in Christ Jesus. That's the point of it all. We're called by what means? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why in Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. So you have this plan. Now with regard to the, revela the revelation and realization of this plan, in Genesis chapter 3, following the fall of man in the garden, what did God do? In verse 15, He began unveiling this plan. And so over the course of several hundred years, God began unfolding His redemptive plan bit by bit and piece by piece. In Genesis chapter 12, one of the leading figures in this plan was Abraham. And God was going to use Abraham. He called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And you remember, God said to Abraham, In you shall all families, all nations of the earth be blessed. That promise was realized in whom? In Jesus. You remember Galatians chapter 4, verse 4? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And so God used the Christ to redeem humanity, yes. But that seed line can be traced through Noah, Shem, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and so on. So in Galatians chapter 3, 
Paul said we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He said there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. Now listen to this. If you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So God had this plan. And that plan was that the Christ would come into the world and bless the human family. So what about the provisions of redeeming man? What about the provisions that God put in play on our behalf? Let me just talk for a minute or two in the second place about these provisions. And let's just begin by talking about our blessings in Christ. Now look again at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. Paul asked the question in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but note the wording, but freely delivered us, delivered him up for us all. That says something about the character of God, doesn't it? The fact that God loved us specifically, individually, that we are the crown of His creation, and that God loved us to the extent that He was willing to give His Son on Calvary for sin, unrighteousness, so that we might be made whole, so that we might enjoy cleansing from sin. The blood of Christ is what covers our sins, is it not? Do you remember back in Romans chapter 3 when Paul said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? In verse 24, he said, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, a covering for what? For sin. God, in His amazing love for us, has made it possible for us, as members of the human family, to be redeemed, cleansed from all sin. And that was only made possible because of His great love and His matchless grace. We talk a lot about the grace of God and the love of God. And listen, those are the catalyst, the driving force, if you please, behind our redemption. What was it Paul said, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place. Paul said, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What about Peter? When Peter wrote that Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross, the vicarious suffering and death of God's only Son, He paid the price so that we might enjoy cleansing from sin. So in Ephesians 1, 7, isn't it ironic that Paul said it's in Him that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And listen, to understand that everything that we need in Christ Jesus has been supplied. Now we talk about our cleansing from sin, but there's a second very important part. Our completeness in Christ. It's not Christ and something else. 
but rather it is Christ and Christ alone. Well, how do I know that? Look again at what Paul said. Paul asked a question, and really there are a series of questions that are posed by the Apostle Paul, and he answers every one. Look again. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us, listen to him, all things, everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness has been delivered, has been given to us. There are no shortcomings in Christ. There are no insufficiencies, if you please. But rather we are fully complete, we are sufficient, our spiritual lives are whole in Christ Jesus. You remember what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2? In verse 9, Paul said that Jesus, in Him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But in verse 10 he said, And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So everything that I need, spiritually speaking, has been supplied, hasn't it? Can I enjoy pardon from sin? Yes, I can. Well, how's that made possible? By my obedience to the gospel. Where did Jesus shed His blood in death, right? John 19, 34 and 35. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 that we access that blood by being baptized into Christ. Know you not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. When we're baptized into the death of Jesus, we appropriate His blood, His grace, His mercy, and all these great blessings. And again, we're fully complete, fully sufficient in Christ Jesus. So we have pardon from sin. We have peace with God, according to Paul in Romans chapter 5 at verse 1. Those of us who have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Paul said every spiritual blessing is in Christ. Everything you need, spiritually speaking, it's in one place, it's in Christ. So if you're in Christ then you're in the church of Christ. And if you're in the church of Christ, then you're in Christ. And the saved are in that divine body, are they not? In Ephesians 5, 23, Paul said, speaking of Christ, He is the Savior of the body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1, 18. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, when we're baptized, we're baptized into one body. So the saved, the redeemed, the reconciled are in one place. They're in the body of Christ. They're in Christ, and they're in the church of Christ. Just that simple. So, we're cleansed in Christ. We are complete in Christ. Let me talk just for a moment or two about our forgiveness. You know, I think one of the real problems that we have sometimes is we carry around the baggage of sin. And understand that when we obey the gospel, whatever is in our past, things that we have said, things that we have done, places that we have been, things that have soiled, tainted our soul, all of those things are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah, that great prophet of the long ago, talked about the day when God would establish a new covenant. Well, the Hebrew writer quotes that covenant in chapter 8. And he said, talking about the Christian dispensation, 
I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember. Listen to this. No more. When you obeyed the gospel, God said, look, it's in the past. It will never again be brought up. Over, done, gone, forevermore. So, to know that we have this kind of forgiveness. Now, there are great blessings to be enjoyed in Christ Jesus. But then, what about our boldness in Christ? Well, this idea of pardon, freedom from sin, freedom from the condemnation associated with sin. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to no longer stand condemned before God. Again, the wages of sin is death. The gift of life is where? It's in Christ Jesus, Romans 6, 23. So we have freedom from the condemnation of sin. But then we also stand fully confident in Almighty God. We can be confident in our relationship to Almighty God. Why? Because He who spared not His own Son has freely given us all things. The beauty of Scripture is, number one, it tells us what to do to be saved. And number two, it tells us what to do to stay saved, doesn't it? That's the beauty of the Scriptures. It's not just about getting into Christ, it's about staying in Christ, staying in a covenant relationship with Him. So, the exhortation is that we're to be steadfast, immovable. Now, what about that relationship that we enjoy in Christ? Now listen, if you would, to what the Apostle Paul asked in verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He that condemns? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, He is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So once we get in Christ, and we're living a life that is rooted in Christ Jesus, who then, according to Paul, can rightfully bring a charge against God's elect? Who can speak words of condemnation against those of us who are in Christ? God has justified us. The word justified, as one fellow said, by way of a simplistic definition, just as if I had never sinned. We have been acquitted by Almighty God. The basis for our acquittal is the blood of Jesus. And so then he asked the question, Who is he who condemns? Well, Christ died for whom? For us. The Hebrew writer said he tasted death for every man. Jesus is now exalted to the right hand of Almighty God. He sits at the Father's right hand where he welds all authority. And Paul said in that esteemed position he is making intercession for us. So, what was it John said? If we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So here we are trying to walk in cadence with the will of God. 
And we're walking in the light, which all it means is to walk in harmony with the Scriptures. Well, what about if we succumb to temptation, if we fall short? Is there a remedy for that? Well, the Bible says there is. John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you became a child of God, in effect, what you said was, I am out of the sinning business. That shingle has been taken down. I'm not living for the devil any longer. I'm not going to live for the world. No, I've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, delivered out of the power of darkness. I have a relationship with Almighty God. I belong to Him. I have been blessed with His blood. I'm a part of His body. And so here I am trying to live the Christian life. But what if I succumb to temptation? To temptation. Well, John said, Little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. That is, you rise above it. Well, what happens if I succumb? He said, But if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father. And that's the picture of one who is standing before the bar of heaven. In this case, it'd be Jesus. And he's pleading our case before the Father. Okay, how then are we going to stand in a right relationship with the Father? Through the blood of Jesus. And Paul said that Christ is making intercession on our behalf. The Hebrew writer in chapter 7 said, Such a high priest we have in Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7, verse 25 and following. He is our great high priest. And Paul here says that Jesus is, a, is at the right hand of the Father and He is making intercession on our behalf. You Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2? That God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? He said there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all. So here is Jesus functioning as our mediator, our intercessor. You've got God on the one hand, and here we are on the other. And God is standing in the middle, and He is mediating, interceding on our behalf, and He is the one who keeps the two parties together. The basis upon which we maintain that relationship is His blood, His cleansing blood. Listen, without the blood of Christ, we'd be lost, wouldn't we? And what didn't Paul say in Ephesians 2 that those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, that they are without hope and without God in this world? Now you think about the implications of that. In Ephesians 2 1, he said, You has he made alive who were past tense, dead in trespasses and sins. Sin separates us from Almighty God. But in Ephesians 2 13, Paul said, But now, present tense, now, in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near by what means? By the blood of Christ. And then in verse 14 he said, He is our peace, who's made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition. In verse 16, Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. That's what the book of Romans is telling us. 
that reconciliation has taken place between both Jews and Gentiles unto God. That it's through Christ that we have the benefits and the blessings of a relationship with the Lord. Now there is a there's a third thing I want to share with you. We talk about first the plan to redeem man, the provision, secondly, to redeem man, but what about the persuasion of the redeemed man? Now, in Romans chapter 8, Paul basically raises an interesting question, and here it is. Is sonship compatible with suffering? In other words, if I am a child of God, Will I suffer? Will I face difficulties in this life? Now you remember when you look at the Jews and their history. Back in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, God set before them blessings and cursings. And if they obeyed Him, God said, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'll curse you. So in many ways, when they thought about suffering, they thought about the material side of that. So, the question, if I am the Son of God, what about suffering? I mean, is it compatible with with sonship? Well, number one, to understand that we are all exposed to the various trials of life. In about verse 18, Paul said, I reckon the sufferings of this present world. Did people suffer in the first century? What about Paul? Did Paul suffer? Did Paul know something about the difficulties and the trials of life? Didn't James write in James chapter 1 at verse 2 and say, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials? Listen to Job. Job was well qualified to pen these words. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's the plight of man on earth. We live in a world that is exposed to human suffering. Why? Because of sin. If you want to know something about suffering and heartache and losses in this life, go all the way back to the garden. Because that's a reality. Today, we suffer in many cases for protracted periods of time, don't we? I want you to listen to what Paul writes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? He said, it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're counted as sheep of the slaughter. He said, yet in all these things, what things? All these trials and difficulties and problems that we face here on planet Earth. He said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Let's just talk about Paul for a minute. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said, that he had received 195 stripes laid upon his back. 
You remember he said three times I was beaten with rods, one of which would have been in Philippi. He said once was I stoned. Three times he suffered shipwreck. He said a night and day he spent in the sea. And then he talks about all the various perils that he faced in this life. Chapter 12. Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh, didn't he? And you remember he said that that thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelations he'd received from the Lord. That thorn in the flesh was such that Paul said, I besought the Lord three times that he would remove it. And what was it God said? And we talk about the various trials of life, but what about the value of trials? You mean to tell me that there's something that I can learn from the trials and heartaches of life? Well, the Bible says that when Paul prayed to the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So, the trials and the heartaches of this life, number one, they can refine our character. It's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1. They can enhance our character. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said, tribulation leads to perseverance. Perseverance, he said, to character. Character, hope. There are things that we learn. We learn something about ourselves. Matter of fact, the trials of life not only refine our character, but in many ways they reveal our character, don't they? I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the, one of the reasons why we need to be growing in Christ Jesus is because we don't know what looms in the future. We don't know what adversities and trials and tribulations we might face in this life. And if we don't have a strong faith, I promise you this, we will not make it through those trials. When Paul pleaded with God to remove that thorn in the flesh and the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what about those trials and adversities in life? You mean to tell me that I can learn from those things? Yes. Do you mean to tell me that those things can in many ways be a blessing to my life? Again, the answer is yes. So now here's the question. In light of the fact that just because we're a child of God, we're not exempt from suffering, is there security even though we suffer in life? Do we have security through the Lord? Well, look again at Romans chapter 8. I think the key, the key for us when it comes to spiritual security set forth in two verses. Number one, look at verse 37. Yet in all these things, Paul said, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. We are victorious through Him who loved us. There it is, through Him. Drop down, look at verse 38. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come. He said, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Now here it is, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying that our security is through Christ and in Christ. That's why we've got to remain faithful to God. And Paul's saying, look, all of the things that we face in life, they're not going to separate me from my Lord. I'm going to serve Him faithfully. I'm going to live for Him faithfully. I understand that God is my helper. God is standing by me. He's standing with me. He is for me. And I can make it home safely. That's a blessing. Are we more than conquerors through Christ? The answer, a resounding yes. We can be victorious. We can win the victory, but it's in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 7. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is only in Christ. It's only through Christ. So we're blessed. You know, sometimes we accentuate what we don't have as opposed to what we have. Sadly, in many cases, when we think about what we have as opposed to what we don't have, we're thinking from a material vantage point, aren't we? It's all about what we have, what we don't have, what we need, what we want. And what Paul is saying is, look, if you're in Christ Jesus, if you're one of His children, you are a conqueror. You are blessed and blessed above measure. You have been able to tap in to the blessings that God had in mind for you before time began. And God's goal is that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what God wants. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, his prayer was, his plea was, that Christ might be formed in them. And so he would say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Could I ask you this morning, are you a child of God? Do you enjoy the benefits and the blessings of salvation? Look, if you're outside of Christ, it really doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, how much land you possess, stocks, bonds, whatever. All of that is immaterial when it comes to spiritual life. The most important decision you will ever make is to become a child of God. But that choice is yours. God has a plan in place. And God has decreed before time began that He would save all who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're without hope and without God. Just that simple. But if you want to become a child of God, all of your sins can be washed away. You can be the recipient of pardon, of peace. You can have God's presence in your life day in and day out. And you can say with Paul that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. If you're here today and you're not faithful to His cause, our plea is always, come home. God wants you to come home. God wants you to live with Him one day in heaven. Think about that for a minute. He has gone to prepare a place for His children. One day the Lord will come again. And Jesus said when He comes again, He will receive you unto Himself. Do you have a home waiting for you on the other side? If you're not in Christ, you don't. 
If you're not faithful, again, you don't, but you can. You can have a home in heaven. As Peter said, it's incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away. And he said it's reserved in heaven for you. But you've got to make some reservations if you want to go to heaven. Won't you come as we stand and sing?